Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. Having the right people in the right roles with the right skill set at the right time who know what is expected of them, you know, your productivity increases, your client satisfaction increases, your, your um, turnover decreases. This is The Real Bottom Line where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Well, hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. Today, my guest is Sarah Mullen, the owner of Uptree HR. Welcome, Sarah. So glad you could come today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, it, this, uh, this podcast is for business owners. And I like to interview other business owners and hear about their journey because I feel like there's so much we can learn from the story of how the Uptree came to be and how you became self-employed. Did you always know you were going to be self-employed or own your own business, Sarah? No, I, I never would have dreamt that I would have been owning my own business. Um, I, I was always been a very conservative person and, and wanted to, um, you know, have a steady kind of career path. And to be here today um, and employing others is, is really kind of incredible to me. How did that happen then? How did you move from corporate to self-employed? Well, it was kind of interesting. Like so many, it was kind of by accident. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I worked in the, in the corporate world for almost 20 years Yeah, and um, had worked my way up and at one point found myself looking for my next new opportunity. And I had worked, um, you know, in small kind of grow, high growth organizations at the beginning of my career, ended up in a larger corporation that was a little bit more bureaucratic. And I knew that it wasn't for me. So I wanted to go back to, to working with smaller kind of high growth organizations. Um, and when I found myself out there, you know, meeting with, with owners and, and executives and, and looking for that next opportunity, I heard a lot of, you know, Sarah, you're a little bit overqualified for what we're looking for. I had a lot of M&A background, a lot of really unique skills that I picked up along the way. And I heard from several people, you should be consulting. And my first response was, oh, no, I, I need a steady paycheck. Um, mm. I'm not a salesy person. <laughs> to somebody. I, I'm not good at selling myself, that type of thing. And, and, you know, it was over and over again. I was hearing this, that, you know, if you want, if this is where you want to be, you should be consulting. And a lot of people could use your, your, your experience. Um, so it was interesting because. I kind of made the decision or I quasi made the decision to start my own business. And of course, at that point, I received a job offer. That was a really good job offer. Of course you did. Right. It was, a, you know, it was a six figure job offer with a huge international organization. It should have been a really amazing opportunity for me, but I'd already got this kind of, mm. you know, owning your own business piece in my head. And I remember I, I met with um, a colleague of mine who owns his own recruitment firm in the city and uh, we had coffee and I was telling him kind of the predicament that I was in. And I said, you know, maybe I'll accept the job and work on building my business on the side and see where I am a year from now. 
And his advice was, Sarah, there will always be another job, but if you want to get a job, you can go get one. Take the year, build your business. And if a year from now, this is not for me, for you, go find a job. Uh, so that's what I did. And that was six How years long ago. How long ago was that? Six? six yeah. <laughs> Do you miss anything from corporate? Well, I miss, I, I miss the relationships because you mm. do, you know, we have really strong relationships with our clients, but it's not the same as seeing people every day and going mm. into an office every day and that kind of social piece. So I do miss that a, a bit, but we try to create that with our client relationships and of course with our, our team at, at UpTree. Um, so that would probably be the only thing, you know, having that, that those longstanding relationships and a little bit more investment in the company because you know yeah that, that's because your you're there every day yeah 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 um when the name where did that come from uptree because i think it's such a cool name uptree hr yeah and i mean it has nothing to do with with business or marketing or anything <laughs> um i can remember <laughs> when i was looking for a name it was i was trying to be you know somewhat unique a lot of people said oh Mullins management consulting and I just said well that's just not me um so you know my kids were young when I started this business so when I registered UpTree HR um my kids would have been um about three and one and a half so my kids were little little um and we spent a lot of time in our backyard out here in middle Sackville we're surrounded by trees um, and we just love being in nature. We're, we're nature enthusiasts, I guess you could say. And we would lay down in the backyard, me and the kids and the dog, and we would look up the trees. And, um, you know, the kids thought it was beautiful. And one day we took a picture and um, that's the picture that's on my website. And we just took a picture up the trees and, and I thought, you know, up tree HR, that's, that's where we're going to be. That's awesome. So HR, I think, when you start looking into it, covers can cover a lot of ground, a ton of ground. Have you picked a focus or a place where you like to play or are you bringing more people on to handle things? Like how are you handling your off service offerings? We really are kind of a generalist service offering. So we're not a recruitment firm, but we help mm-hmm. out with recruitment. So we do a lot of recruitment work um, with our clients. But like we what? Also, pardon me? Like what would you do for recruitment work? So um, we're not headhunters necessarily, although we, we do tend to reach out on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we, we support our clients. So we help our clients build job descriptions and build, sometimes it's stepping it back a little bit and build kind of the organizational development piece as well. Okay, so what does your organization look like? What are the gaps? What are the skill sets? Let's build what that structure should look like first. Sometimes we're starting at that yeah. point. Um, and then we build those roles and what makes sense and, and help out with job titles and, and, and compensation and, and all that. Um, we we uh, post the jobs, we facilitate that process of hiring. So whether it's candidate management or screening, um, we conduct interviews. We're a lot more hands-on than say a recruitment firm would be. We really hold the client's hand mm. every step of the way. Um, we help with that decision-making process. We, we facilitate that discussion. Uh, we, we do all the background checks. We, we, neg- we handle the offer, um, you know, the, 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 all the, the negotiation, <laughs> negotiation, the legal side. Um, yeah, we, we, we handle all of that from, from start to finish for our clients. Um, and that's just the recruitment piece. So that is, you know, it's a big part of our business, 
but we also um, you know, develop performance management programs and um, policy development is another huge, huge part of our business. Uh, we have a lot of small businesses out there that just do not have policies for their employees. And it sounds like a very dry piece of work, but setting clear expectations and having employees that, that know simple things like what are the company holidays? Um, it sounds silly, but that is a huge issue out there. True, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and things around confidentiality and code of conduct and workplace respect, um, you know, harassment and, and all those things, mm. be able to develop a, a policy manual and then train their employees on this policy manual that's kind of the next piece so we do a lot of training um, whether it's employee training or leadership training um, you know we have training modules that are, are um, based on building trust in your teams and managing conflict and 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 uh, we recently did one that um, was all about growth mindset oh, um, which was a fantastic module um, for for leaders and for employees yeah. so we're really um, we're kind of that full service um, partner for businesses, mm -hmm. and it really depends on the business needs. Um, when, we, when do people, when do business owners need to be thinking about HR? At what point in the, you know, I have an idea, I've started a company, uh, you know, and on. When does it start to become an issue? It's really a, a, as soon as you hire your first employee. Mm. Yeah. Now, I mean, I'm not saying you have to have a performance management system in place and all these different aspects in place for employee number one, but you have to have a, some sort of sense of, you know, setting clear expectations, how to hire that person appropriately, how to onboard that person appropriately. Um, all these things are just so important to the success of your business. Mm. What do you think is the biggest mistake that business owners are making right now? right now in particular um with COVID going on is assuming that your employees understand what they need to do and they okay. understand their role in the organization with with employees working virtually it's, it's always been an issue yeah. um, pre-COVID because um a lot of times especially with entrepreneurs people come on board and you just start giving them stuff and and you assume that they know how to do it and they're comfortable doing it and it, it you know you just assume that they're going to say no if, if they're not comfortable um, with COVID that's become even kind of more emphasized because not only do you continue doing this, but for the most part, or a lot of the time people are remote. Mm. Um, so you don't see that confused look on their face in front of you all the time, <laughs> or you don't know what, you know, you just expect them to be productive. They may not know what they're supposed to be doing. What's the priority? What are my core accountabilities? Have those been communicated? What yeah. are the expectations, especially during COVID times around productivity and, and what they're accountable with, with clients or whatever their situation may be? What do you see um, going, and I know you're not a lawyer, so, but I'm, I, it's a kind of a, I don't know if this is a legal question or a culture question around what if you have uh, employees that don't wanna get vaccinated and you wanna have everybody vaccinated? Like what, how, what happens then? So we just ran into this with uh, a large client of ours. Um, and we took the approach that all I can do is educate. Okay. Um, I don't see any time in the near future that we're going to be able to mandate employees to mm -hmm. be vaccinated as a condition of employment. Um, that's just a really tricky subject to force someone to put something in their own bodies against their will. <laughs> so, so, you know, um, 
So I don't see that happening. But to me, I take the approach of education. So making sure that people have the appropriate resources, whether that is Health Canada, Nova Scotia Health Authority, the World Health Organization, um, that people are getting information from reliable sources, mm. uh, not necessarily Facebook and um, TikTok or wherever they're getting it. <laughs> so, so you're helping them find the reliable information from good sources and then communicating that to employees to make exactly. informed decisions. And, and, empl- and employers can have, you know, you, you pick your words carefully. You can, you can communicate expectations. You can mm. encourage employees. You can say things like, you know, our expectation is that everyone make an effort to become vaccinated or to educate yourself around a vaccination. We recommend that you become vaccinated if that is the position of your organization. And that may not be the position. It depends yeah. on the leadership. But if that is your position, then, you know, we recommend that everyone get vaccinated. Here are some vaccination um, clinics or here are some. Uh, here's, here's some time some- off to go get your vaccine. <laughs> here's some time off to go get your vaccine. There could be other incentives there as well. Um, you know, we might get to the point, I mean, you know, it wasn't unusual pre-COVID for employers to have vaccination clinics on site for flu shots. Right. right? So, you know, when things settle down and, and our vaccines are a little bit more available rather than just by appointment, you know, employers might be able to do that. Again, you're not forcing employees to get vaccinated, but you're giving them every opportunity to do so. Mm. Um, one of the interesting things you brought up and that I am curious about is social media and employees. And um, if you have an employee that's putting out content that you find contrary to what your, your business values are, what are your, what are your, what are the ramifications? How do you manage that? Again, that goes back to having really solid policy in place. So when mm-hmm. we you provide policy to employers, there's always a really solid social media um, content piece in there that basically says if, if you're if you're um, on social media and you say anything disparaging about the company or anything that's not in alignment with our values, um, you know you are in essence a representative of our company. Mm. Um, you work here and. and if, if you're putting things out there that are not in alignment with what we believe or what, um, what you know, could, be, could be seen as negative towards our organization, then uh, we, we have to have a discussion. And you can discipline to that. You can say, you know, that we saw this and, and uh, that's not appropriate and you can't do that again. Interesting. Um, how often are, when people have that solid uh, policy in place and then they've communicated it, um, do you see, does the incidence of, of poor posting go down um, or have you seen people fired for bad posts? What? Um, people have definitely been terminated for bad posts. I mean, if you say anything negative about your organization, um, I, I, depending on the severity of it, that mm. can definitely go down that road. Um, if it's just a matter of, you know, distasteful to post, <laughs> it becomes a little bit more subjective, subjective, right? Um, and it would depend on the, on, on the role. If you're talking about somebody who is in a, a customer service role, a frontline role, and they're just posting appropriately about alcohol and, and maybe sexual content on their Facebook, that might be a little bit more difficult than, you know, if they're a lawyer. 
um, and right. they are um, representing representing you know sexual assault victims or something. I don't know. You yeah, know, there's, there's extremes to that, and I think you have to manage that appropriately. With the with the pandemic, we saw a whole bunch of work immediately um, go remote. The ones that could did. Um, what did you see? How are how are organizations rising to that challenge? And what do you think the go forward is going to happen? Are we going to go all back into the office again? Or do you think that we're going to have a blend? Or what, what do you think is happening next? Well, and I got to be honest, I was pretty passionate about this before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Um, my team's always been 100% virtual, and that is to reduce our carbon footprint, um, to create some work-life integration. Um, you know, we make sure that we have contact um, via Zoom, but even before COVID, we were on contact via Zoom, and, you know, every week, sometimes every day. And we have in-person, you know, connections at least monthly, if not two or three times a month. Um, but, but we don't have an office. And a lot of my clients obviously do. And, uh, and we were working even pre-COVID on getting people 100% remote doesn't work for every organization. Yeah. Um, and you have to be able to have an organization where you can still build culture and, and build relationships in that environment. It works well for my team because we're a close-knit team to begin with. And we're small. We're, you know, we're three or four people. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we have been working with our clients a lot about with that before, you know, having flexible work schedules and having times that people can work from home, but also times in the office that everyone's in the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I, I feel like a, a lot of our clients and others were, were pretty prepared for this. Um, of course, it depends on the industry. We have some clients that, you know, were in uh, manufacturing or production oh, yeah. and were, were operational 100% um, in the facility every day throughout COVID. But a lot of our clients who could work from home transitioned to a work-to-home situation. They were well-prepared because we had prepared them. Um, and it was interesting because then they were able to come back to the office for a little bit and then you know, automatically kind of shift back to, to at-home work um, with this third wave. Um, I feel like the future needs to be a little bit more flexible. Mm. Um, I would like to see flexible, more, more fl- flexible work schedules uh, meaning that, you know, people have an opportunity, if they want to work from home, they can, um, maybe not 100% of the time. I think that, that as a, again, that face-to-face collaboration is important. Um, one thing to consider, too, is working from home does not work for everybody. Yeah. Um, we had a client that, um, because of their industry, everybody had to, well, and then in the initial stages, they sent everybody home. And some people were very productive. Some people were not. Some people put up their hand saying, you know what? I live in a two bedroom condo. Um, my spouse is working from home and I now have two kids homeschooling. I cannot do this. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, can I get back to the office? So in that particular case, they, they made office space that was you know socially distanced and they were able to bring back maybe like 10% of their workforce who just did not have the setup to work from home and kudos to those people for raising their hands and saying this is oh. not for me well actually that's a good organization too because if they feel comfortable that they can do that right yeah, absolutely uh so i think i think there's a lot of considerations there was an organization recently in halifax um who surveyed their their workforce um this would have been about the second wave yeah. about working from home and it was a 50 50 split mm. of those who want to work from home and those who want to stay in the office so a lot of us assume that everyone wants to be at home, um, but it's not the case. Um, a lot of people thrive in environments where they're socially interactive with other people, that they're, you know, 
commuting, whether it's depending on the, the commute, but they're going to a workplace, that they're going to an office, that their home life and their office life is completely separate. Yeah. Uh, so you really have to look at the needs of your, your employees and the, of the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what has been the most interesting success that you've had along the way that you're like, oh, that was super cool? Um, during COVID or the last six years, the last six years, the most significant success, um, probably, you know, we have a lot of long-term retainer clients, Mm -hmm. um, that have been with us for, you know, three or four years. Um, I I think seeing their businesses grow and succeed, uh, Mm -hmm. started when they're really small. Um, and, and they've grown, you know, we have one that I hired their first employee and now we're pushing 50 employees. Um, and, and, you know, we've had, we have similar situations to that and it's just, that has been really, you know, pretty fun to watch and exceptional to watch. Um, but at the same time, growing my team, I started as one person, um, probably around the same time. I'm trying to think when I hired their first person, if I was on my own or not, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, um, I haven't grown quite as exponentially, but you know, to be able to, to see our clients grow, but us grow along with them, um, and, and developing my team and, and seeing kind of what that next stage will be. One of the things um, I find interesting is that you have done packages, like you've taken your bu- some services and bundled them in packages. And I feel like that is kind of the wave of the future to get away from selling time and into selling uh, a value that you're bringing to the table. What was that journey like and how did you decide what you were going to package and how has the market um, received that? Mm-hmm. We, uh, I did a, I conducted a lot of market research early um, in building up TreeHR. Um, and, and we kind of focus on what the needs were. So, so mm-hmm. recruitment um, was a big piece. We wanted to, to build a package that was different than um, what recruitment firms were doing. So mm. we, we purposely stay away from contingency recruitment. We say, we just don't do it. That's not our wheelhouse yeah. that we leave that to, to the firms. We offer a different service for a different type of client, yeah. um, client that needs that kind of extra support. Um, and we found that through our market research in the very beginning. Um, same thing with the policy manual. So mm-hmm. instead of, you know, a lot of people will, will hire a consultant to write a policy manual for them, which is great. And it can cost thousands of dollars to do that because it can take a lot of time. We prefer not to reinvent the wheel every time. So we have a ton of templated material that we have yeah. gathered over the years that we customize and, and we build um, to, to, to build a policy manual for our employer, for our um, clients. Um, it, it, it creates value for, you know, our clients because they're getting really fantastic content. It mm-hmm. makes it easier for us to, to kind of build so we can provide that at a lower cost because right. we're not rewriting every time. Um, so it really creates an, an efficient product that we can provide small businesses so they're not having to spend know, thousands of dollars in time to have a consultant do this writing for them. Hmm. I, uh, I'm a business, I have two or three people. And um, what are the first three things I need to do from an HR perspective, to build out the right system that I can grow from? Uh, well, the first thing that we um, recommend for all of our clients is uh, conducting a kind of 
current state assessment of the, your HR program. So we do this often for free because <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's more of a discovery phase for us. Um, but we look into um, all the processes and procedures, everything from you know hiring and onboarding to policy to even payroll and benefits. Um, mm. We provide services on the payroll side as well. We have a, a payroll um, compliance officer. So we're able to go in and just take a really good uh, deep dive into our client's current situation um, and see where the gaps are and, and see what the risks are from a compliance perspective, you know, are you compliant with labor standards and human rights and, and occupational health and safety, um, all those things. Um, and, and then we're able to really create a proposal or a recommendation around that. Um, we, we generate a report saying, okay, these are the gaps. This is what we would recommend going forward. More often than not, it includes some policy writing uh, or a policy manual, um, and perhaps you know some performance management. Um, again, it depends on the needs of the business, um, but but yeah, we, it's 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 um, it's an effective approach. Often, if an organization has more employees, so say they have ten or fifteen employees, and they're just kind of looking at their their HR policies or practices at that point, which is often the case. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't I don't want to deal with this anymore. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's when we normally get the call. Employees yeah. are asking too many questions. I can't deal with this. Sarah, can you help me? Um, so what we do in that scenario is a little bit more hands-on and we conduct employee focus groups. Okay. So I go in and I facilitate sessions depending on the, the size of the group. It could be one session. It could be two or three sessions um, with employees. And we have, um, uh, you know, it could be a couple hours or an afternoon. And we have a really deep dive conversation on the organization, um, what we should start doing, what we should stop doing, what we should continue doing as an organization. We get the post-it notes out on the wall. We talk about everything. We prioritize things. Um, it could be something as simple you know, as we need to have direct deposit, I don't like getting paychecks anymore. Um, or it could be, you know, there's no trust with management, mm. or um, we don't know what we're supposed to be doing, or we feel there's unfair treatment. Um, and, 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 and sometimes it's some really great things. We love the culture, we love the people that we work with. And, and we love, you know, some organizations, you know, they go for beer at four o'clock on a Friday, or whatever it may be, like, there's things that they love about the organization. It's a really good opportunity for um an unbiased conversation i'm able to go in there and 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 i am able to facilitate that conversation so that it doesn't turn into you know uh be quite a session <laughs> you know we we don't want there just to be a bunch of complaining and and have negativity coming out of that that session yeah it, it's really about having honest conversation and and i find it, it's interesting I've, you know, I've done this several times over the years, you know, probably at least a dozen times over the years. Um, and I've never had people who seemed, um, you know, hesitant to share. Nice. <laughs> um, I never had, I've never had anyone being inappropriate that that's, you mm -hmm. know, people remain professional when it's a facilitated discussion. When I'm asking right. those point questions, people remain professional. Um, you know, things are confidential and they feel comfortable. I think um, before I open up for questions, just in case anyone has any, is the perception, I feel like there's this perception about HR being a cost versus an investment. Do you think you could comment a little bit about how that how to reframe HR in our minds as business owners uh, so that it becomes something that we get to leverage as opposed to 
saying, oh my gosh, why do I have to spend this money? Yeah. I think it's really, I mean, you can, you can turn, you can, you know, figure out the, the ROI based on turnover and onboarding time and all that good stuff. I think people are just, you know, they, they see the value when we, we walk in the door and we're able to really look at the business holistically. It's not just, um, you know, it's not just about writing policy and how to recruit. It's also what, you know, what does your business look like? As a business owner, I'm able to, I'm able to provide that insight almost, you know, what are your long-term goals? What are your objectives? Um, we talk about values in an organization and, and linking, you know, having the right people in the right roles with the right skill set at the right time who know what is expected of them, you know, your productivity increases, your client satisfaction increases, your, your um, turnover decreases, your ability to, to develop those people and advance them through your organization and have that loyalty. You know, most of my, the clients that I work with, you know, they have long-term employees and we're able to build that relationship. Yeah. You don't want an organization where there's turnover, you know, people are turning over every six, 12, 18 months, which you see all the time now, all the time. Right. The generational thing. (laughs) What is the cost of turnover? Do people understand that still? Like I I've heard it that it's, you know, a big number. So if I had a fifty thousand dollar employee that I've recruited and then they leave after six months, give me some examples of, of what that might be actually costing me that I don't realize. Oh, well, I mean, it, it would be tens of thousands of dollars um, mm-hmm. because you now have to, not only do you lose that knowledge, right? Because they have learned and they've built, you know, client relationships or, or whatever your situation may be. It could be product uh, knowledge. Um, they've built that, that knowledge bank. So you're losing that right away, but also the cost of going out and finding someone new um, the, the cost of actually recruiting and, and training and onboarding, um, you're starting at, at step one again, right? Where right. during that time, that person that would have stayed, you know, would be, you know, so many more months ahead. And accelerating um, into productivity. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I really feel like, you know, onboarding can take up to a year to yeah. fully onboard someone effectively. Um, but you can speed up where they are in that process and how, you know, and, and how confident they are and how, you know, a lot of times you look at someone who's starting to getting to just a to full capability in that mm-hmm. role. Right. And that can be a few weeks in some situations, depending on the type of role, it could be a few months, it could be a year, in some cases years. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but to be able to speed up that process that is adding value to your business every day that that person learns something sooner mm-hmm. <laughs> um, than they would have is, is adding value to your business. How do you think, um, I, I've, I've heard the story about how fit is so important that you have to fit with the job, fit with the manager, fit with the organization and the team. Um, what is, how do you assess fit? Like when, if you're helping on the recruitment and what is the biggest mistake you see people making when they're hiring? So this is an interesting question because I encountered this recently because I, I had a, a new client that was, you know, talking very much about fit in their organization. Um, and I've always been about fit, but my definition of fit can be very different than other people's definition. Oh, cool. What's your definition? Well, my definition of fit is more about um, adding complementary skills to the organization. Somebody who would, 
um, fit, yes, personality-wise and, and values-wise, but also can add a different perspective as well. Mm-hmm. That's very about, about, about complementary skills and perspectives. A lot of people see fit as um, hiring other people like us, right? Um, so, so you know, I have um, I was dealing with a, a client not too long ago, and they're a small team. They're they're fairly startup, um, and it's um, you know they have about four to five guys between the ages of thirty and forty uh, running this business, and which is great. And they talk about fit. And, um, you know, and I said, so define fit for you. Well, someone like us, someone who's going to fit in well, who's just going to slide in like another member of the team. I said, so another Caucasian male between the ages of 30 and 40. And they're like, yeah. (laughs) So so to me, that's not fit. And that's not very complimentary. You're just adding what you already have. You're not seeing a different perspective. And so we really talked through that and the, the value of, you know, having some variety to your workforce. <laughs> um, we we have a joke here that we say, if you hire a, if you work with a yes man, one of you is redundant. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's really kind of defining what that fit um, mm. is and making sure that you're really clear on that during your recruitment process. I am totally in agreement that fit, um, it, it can be more important than skill set. Oh, um, yeah. Right. So, you know, you can train skills. I can train, I can train someone how to use Excel. I can train somebody on a sales process. I can train somebody how to, to, to write. Um, it's very difficult to train someone on how to have good judgment. It's right. difficult to train someone how to engage with, with customers. Um, I call it the soft skill and the hard skill. And I'm like, I need you. Soft skills are non-negotiable. Hard skills can, like you said, can be taught. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, does either of you guys have a question in the audience? If so, just uh, put your hand up or unmute yourself and I'll bring in. Oh, no questions today. You're getting off easy. Oh my <laughs> God, Sarah, this is good for you. Um, what is the thing that you wish employers and small business owners knew about HR that you're like, if I have, this is my, this is the thing I will never stop talking about that everyone must be clear on. Okay. Um, geez, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> you're putting me on the spot here. Uh, the one thing I wish everybody knew about HR, um, that is not just the people stuff. Um, that is not, you know, we're, we're more about, um, it, it, it's funny people assume that cause you're an HR, you're a people person. Um, and I don't even consider myself to be a people person. I like people. Um, I like to do what's right by people, but I also like to do what's right for the business. Right. Um, and, and I think that's where, where HR, um, you know, we're not about how to throw the best uh, Christmas party um, or bringing birthday cakes in. Um, I don't do any of that. <laughs> to be honest, I hate the monthly birthday cakes. But, um, you know, we're, it's more about um, connecting people with your business, making sure that everyone's on the same page. Um, and, and, and yes, sometimes that means doing, the, you know, obviously the right thing for people and putting um, people's needs um, uh, you know, in the forefront, um, but also making sure that the business is thriving because of that. 
Um, and, and there's a balance there. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I can give an example. I had a client years ago who said, you know, Sarah, we're, we're a great organization. We offer all of the, this information. We do all this for our employees. We have unlimited vacation and all this sort of thing. And um, I said, that's great. I said, how does that help your business meet their need, your needs? And, and tell me a little bit more about unlimited vacation because I'm not sure how that, that, um, that works. Um, and, and as it turned out, it, it, you know, he provides unlimited vacation, but no one took vacation because they didn't understand how much vacation they should take. <laughs> so, um, so, so, so he made up really well. <laughs> he made up really well when we dug into it. I said, no one's taking vacation. And when we talked to employees, they're like, well, we don't really understand how much vacation I can take. So I just don't book anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so, you know, employers can feel like they're doing some great things, but if you don't have that connection, um, and a connection to, to kind of our experience of, of, you know, how the employee's perception of this may be, um, you know, it, it doesn't add value to your business. Yeah, I find that that's an interesting perspective because I feel like there's the, the whole startup, I need to have foosball and a kegger going yeah. on at all times. But is that, is that, are you doing it for the right reasons? I yeah. think is what you're saying. Are you doing it because it builds something in your team and makes your team better and more productive? Or are you doing it because it sounds like the coolest thing ever to do? Exactly. And, and, and to me, it's a balance. Yeah. Um, the foosball table will only get you so far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does just show that I cannot play that game, Sarah. So <laughs> uh, I have a question for you. How do you feel about uh, living wage? And how do you, how, what is the living wage? And how do you, uh, employers start tackling that? Wow. Um, again, it's a good question. Um, I'm not sure what the living wage is. I know it's a heck of a lot higher than minimum wage. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it depends, uh, you know, it's regional. Absolutely. Um, and I think employers, um, I think employers definitely could influence it. And um, we're seeing a lot of this right now with, you know, tech companies from outside of Halifax mm. coming into Halifax is creating some, some pretty crazy competition. I've even seen, or seen it in rural Nova Scotia. Um, uh, a client of mine that that's, we were in rural Nova Scotia and we went in and we offered um, people, our starting wage was well above minimum wage. It was yeah. about $17 an hour. And we actually got complaints. We received complaints from local employers saying, you're taking our employees. We can only afford to pay $12 an hour. Um, this was, you know, this was a, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and sorry, but you know, we, we need to do better as employers. <laughs> um, you know, you can't live on $12 an hour, even enroll in Nova Scotia. No. So um, I, I think, I think it's a process and I think employers all, you know, contribute to that. If we stop kind of, paying people, you know, instead of investing in the foosball table, maybe we pay people, um, a good wage, um, and and stop just offering people what they will take. Oh, I can get this person for that. Um, and that's a whole other thing we can get into around pay equity and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, if, if, if you go in saying that, no, we're going to, we're going to provide good paying jobs to good people and, 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 and have good benefits. Um, I think, you know, the foosball table can be an add-on. 
That's amazing. I have so enjoyed our conversation today, Sarah. I think like we could probably talk forever about all the little, go down some serious roads. But I think what we've taken away today is that um, as soon as you hire your first employee, you start, need to start thinking about HR. You need to start looking at it as an investment that can help you grow your business as opposed to an expense. Um, and I think that's the real bottom line is to look at HR as an investment um, and that it's a necessary investment for you to actually achieve your, your organizational goals. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's more than just, you know, answering people's questions. It's about aligning people with your objectives of the organization so that you can grow and flourish. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.